Hey everybody and welcome back to the Off The Key Podcast. I'm your host Mac and today I'm joined by my co-hosts James. What's up? And Garrett. Chica-chica. And today we're going to be talking about Blue Matter by John Schofield. 1986. Yes, sir. It was 1986. So who is John Schofield? He was actually a, is still is, I believe he's still active, isn't he? Yeah. Yes, yes, he's still alive, still playing music. What a beast. Actually saw him live with uh, Government Mule one time. That was a great show. Wow, did you really? Great show, dude. That's, oh, yeah. that's pretty sick, actually. Yeah. But um, Schofield is an American guitarist and a composer, and he's mostly known for his work with Miles Davis. But he's worked with so many prominent jazz figures, and even prominent musicians outside of jazz, like uh, John Mayer and a few others. But he's also worked with like Harvey Hancock, George Duke, Joe Lovano. Joe Henderson, Eddie Harris. I mean, this this guy's catalog is like repertoire is like top of the line, almost now, legendary. Now, was he Miles Davis? Did they do like a collab, or was he like Miles Davis's like touring guitar? Yeah, like, he was he was Miles' guitar man, basically his side man for like a long time. Yeah, like, it was it was like that's hot forty or fifty years or some shit like that. I don't remember the exact that's numbers, hot. but yeah, dude, he's. He's, he's been that. around, yeah, he's been around. He's, he, this man has been around the block. There is no denying that. I love his choice in guitars. He's always using these like like big body, like hollow body guitars and just oh, gets, yeah. gets some great sounds out of him. Yeah, and oh, that's, yeah, definitely. That's one thing I do really like about Schofield, and I know we haven't gotten into the album yet, but his, his, his tone, like his guitar tones... Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> like, they're so distinctive, and like every time I listen to it, like I know that's Schofield. Oh, slow sco. Not to mention the style. Some some may call it noodly. I don't think it's all that <laughs> but noodly. I it does get noodly at times. We'll, and we'll talk at about times, that. yeah. <laughs> Especially on this album, I believe. I'd have to agree, but um, yeah, he's. This is actually uh, John Schofield's tenth studio album. Gosh, <laughs> wow! Yeah, he started releasing solo projects in like the late seventies, I believe. Typical jazz musician. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> most jazz musicians in general have, have like, like hundreds <laughs> doing, doing their yeah. doing their best buckethead impersonation. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, but, it um, might be the other way around. I think. <laughs> yeah, God, Buckethead has literally hundreds upon hundreds of albums. I think it's like over three hundred. That is absolutely insane. Talk, talk about prolific, dude. Jesus yeah. Christ, that's that's one thing you got to give a lot of like jazz and like studio artists. Like, man, they they put out some music. Mm-hmm, yeah, you know, we, like we look at catalogs. Like, I don't know. Like, let's take a let's take a look at like. I don't know, like Lil Wayne or something like that as an example. Like he's he's got a lot of albums, like a lot of mixtapes, a lot of albums, and they call him prolific. But like, man, like like Miles, you know how many releases that man has? I want to say like fifty. It's it's fifty plus, fifty plus, and that's not yeah. including live albums. I mean, S- similar to like Zappa. <laughs> yeah, like Zappa or even like Johnny Cash. However, I will say that Buckethead isn't really all that impressive as far as like just because he'll just like record something in one take and then just put it on the album. Like he's not like thorough with making sure it's like high quality. He'll just like, and then just like okay, and just put it on there. Like he, he's kind of one of those guys that like they send out almost everything they do unless it just something goes wrong and it really sounds bad. He just like he kind of puts out everything he does just because yeah. it's just natural. I mean, I I admire that, but it doesn't always make for a good yeah album. That's not it's not always the most consistent. Yeah, and and you could definitely say that about a lot of jazz work. And like jazz bodies of work, but um, I mean, a guy like 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 Coltrane 
or Davis. I mean, the the quality level is surprisingly consistent. I mean, I, at this point, I've probably heard like 15 Coltrane albums, and I don't think I've completely hated a single one. Is it possible? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe from some people. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? I'm sure there's. <laughs> I'm sure there's some Coltrane and Miles Davis when I like dig into them that I'll be like. It's a five or a four, which I think it was like good, but just kind of forgettable. Yeah. Especially fives. Jazz gets a lot of five for me because even at its like sometimes even at its like technical best, it still doesn't like get me. Get yeah. me. Mm. Yeah, I know what you mean. But and that's uh, that's more common than you would think. But yes, that actually does kind of segue into our discussion about Blue Matter a little bit. So I'll go to, I'll go over the personnel real quick. Uh, Schofield was on electric guitar, and he was accompanied by. Uh, Mitchell Foreman on keyboards, Gary Granger on bass, Dennis Chambers on drums, and Don Alias on percussion. Mm-hmm. Dennis Chambers is a legend. <laughs> this dude is one of my favorite drummers to listen to. His his sense of groove is impeccable. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty impressive, to be honest. Which makes sense because, you know, before this, he was the drummer for Parliament Funkadelic. And For real? Yeah, that's where yeah. I knew him. That's where I knew him from. He actually joined the band at 18 years old. Good <laughs> yeah. lord. That's the dream right there. And he played with them for almost 10 years. It was like seven, seven or eight years, I think. Yeah, until a pretty good chunk of their career. Was, he actually, this was his first studio album he recorded while he wasn't in P-Funk. He, yeah, he left the band in 85. He just didn't want to get funked up anymore. He's just like, I'm tired. And then he recorded... This album, which is pretty fucking funky. <laughs> I was going to say, for a jazz fusion album, this is really funky, and a big part of that is definitely the rhythm section. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Absolutely. He absolutely carries that song. Is it uh, So She Says or So She Say or something Oh, like So that? You Say. So You Say. So you yeah. say? yeah. Dude, oh, he carries that song. Dude, oh, yeah. 100%. He's literally doing some of that Phil Collins, like where like the drum is the motif, the drum is the instrument. He's doing a lot of that in that song. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you yeah, ask me, that's, nice. that's what saves the song, because like So You Say, I, I actually thought the lead guitar parts were like too smooth. Yeah. It, yeah. And... To me, it comes off as a little cheesy sometimes. Oh, it's dude. Like the melody. It's like, a, like, like uh, So You Say <laughs> is probably the corniest track on the album. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that and maybe like Heaven Hill even. Yeah. and Well, Heaven, yeah. well, Heaven, Heaven Hill, Hill is more blues, I feel. Yeah, I actually got like R&B vibes from Heaven Hill. Yeah. Like, uh, I got gospel vibes. <laughs> like a really cheesy like 80s R&B <laughs> soul track or... Maybe it's all three. It... it yeah, I mean it's fusion for a reason. Yeah, but, yeah. but um, Heaven Hill to me felt like the most R and B inspired track. Yeah. Okay. What's the hot take? What's you guys' least favorite track on the album? Mm. For me, it's Heaven Hill. To be honest, either it's, either Heaven Hill or Time Marches On. Yeah, like Heaven Hill was. It was cool. I liked it, and I liked the idea, and it has a nice groove and stuff. But it's a little too long and. There's so much space in that song. There's too much space, and it gets really sleepy. I mean, yeah, yeah like, it's a good song to, like, just kind of relax and chill to, and I I believe that's its purpose, but... I'll say Time Marches On. Yeah. I was going to say, Time Marches On is really uninteresting. Yeah, because like, he- Heaven true. Hill try, you, it Heaven Hill presents itself like this is its intention, whereas Time Marches On doesn't try to do that, but it ends up there anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it just, it was an, a, a, a really sleepy, 
boring and like uninteresting closer. Yeah. I suppose you could maybe pretentiously argue like, you know, that it's supposed to be about how time just kind of drags along. Yeah. And I definitely but, think there was an intention of that there, but it just comes, it's, it's just like, yeah, uh, it doesn't really work well. <laughs> like I ended up like I, on my last few listens, I ended up just like skipping the end of the track. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's like one part in that track that's kind of interesting where the bass like comes forward and it creates a nice groove and stuff. But otherwise it's, it's not very interesting. Yeah. Um, now, I will say the other track I was not fond of was Now She's Blonde. Now, to me, that is kind of an example. That song in particular is an example of kind of the problems with this album. So the the, the production on this album is like squeaky clean. Like it's almost too clean. Yeah, and I agree. That makes like John's like really smooth noodly parts a lot less punchy, a lot less exciting. And... Now she's blonde to me is where that really sticks out like a sore thumb. Like that, I saw. I thought that track was pretty boring. I feel like a lot of the times when he slows it down, he doesn't have the soul to really carry that emotion. Because usually when you slow things down, you're getting a little bit more emotional. You're like, all right, we're not getting technical. We're not getting noodly. We're gonna slow it down. We're gonna be like real soulful. And I didn't really get that. I'd have to agree, actually. That's a great mm-hmm. point. Because like slowing down in a song doesn't always mean it's boring, but Schofield, like you said, really doesn't have the the ability to really get that feel in there when you slow it down, if that makes sense. I think his most like kind of emotional, like soulful track is the opener when he's uh like soloing on like Blue Matter. Oh yeah. Blue Matter yeah. is a fantastic opener. Yeah. Blue Blue oh, Matter yeah. <laughs> is one of my favorite tracks on this album. And the synths and just like the keyboard sounds mm. are very nice. I think they complement him very well. And in, in my opinion, that that drum groove is definitely the best on the album. Oh, in the beginning, yeah. in it, Blue Matter, yeah, it, yes, it definitely carries that song. It dry. I don't want to say carries the song, but it 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 makes the song exceptional. It gives it gives the song that that stank that you're looking for. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like that yes. funky, laid back, easygoing, but still groovy kind of jam yep. that that I really like from Schofield. If that slap yeah. bass. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, and the, dude. The bass lines on this album, or on that song, are awesome. Like, no, I like, just, and I also appreciate that the bass was kind of like more in the front than it is on some of the other tracks because it's really it's like it's like rubbery and thick and like fat and it's it's satisfying. Yeah, absolutely. And I just I love how like in sync Dennis and Gary are on that song. They're so perfectly together. It's almost as if their brains are connected. Yeah, their their chemistry on this album is is impressive. Yeah, honestly, it's throughout the album. Yeah, this is true. Man, I just I this really the thing that drew me into this album more than anything. The rhythm section really shines throughout the entire album, and I believe that's what makes it stand out to me among a lot of other Schofield's albums. I I'd have to agree. Um, on my initial listens of this album, I wasn't too impressed. I'm not going to lie, man. Yeah. But uh, listening to it back a few more times and really dissecting like each part of the the band like song composition, it's, it is the rhythm section that drives it. Absolutely. My hot take for this album is that they absolutely carry Schofield on this album. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I think, I think Schofield has some good moments. Like uh, Trim, I actually really like Schofield's part on Trim. 
uh, like towards the like two and a half three minute mark. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, where he one. starts like soloing, and he is he does get kind of noodly, but he's like he's like really playing into it. You know, it's yeah. it's got that emotional like, and I I hate to use this word again, but stank. Yeah, stank, stank, stank. <laughs> he, he really does get into it on that one, and like, of course, of course, Dennis's solo at the end is incredible. <laughs> and one thing, so I actually really like Trim, and here's the reason why. To me, that was the most jazz track of the track list. Like the structure, so the structure of this is very jazz. It's not really jazz fusion to me. This could totally be like a just a classic jazz track. Interesting. Like everyone, everyone gets a moment to shine. It's organic. Yeah. They're kind of jamming and letting everyone go around the room and get a moment to to shine. And it's it's really a highlight on the track list for me. Yeah, that's true. Actually, now that I think about it, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. It it, it has it has the most jazz structure of the songs on this track list, in my opinion. And I like it for that reason. And I like that because. The thing I dislike about jazz the most as like a genre, whether it be jazz or like jazz fusion, is that I mean we talked about him getting noodly at some parts, but you can you cannot have multiple people noodle at the same time. You have to keep a pocket. You cannot have more than one musician that is getting out of the pocket that is that is showing like flair at one moment. I think this is this album does a really good job that no one is really getting out of that groove getting out of that pocket but like one at a time like when jazz like i know like that's there's like whole genre like freeform jazz is literally just everyone just flaring all at once like everyone turns into their respective keith moon all at the same time (laughs) but like this album is really good about staying in the pocket like you get your turn it's like oprah you get a turn and you get a turn and you get a turn and that's nice because when two people are doing it at once it is honestly just kind of sounds like a train wreck yeah especially in jazz I'd have to agree. Um, now that that being said, like uh, people like in more open music like that, um, getting out of the pocket, I don't think it's always a bad thing. I just think there definitely needs to be somebody holding things together. Yeah, you know of, what I mean. Of course, the the math rock fan would say that. I mean, <laughs> you, you caught me red-handed, but it's true. And we gotta know, have that groove, man. We gotta lay lay it down. There, and and okay, okay, I'm gonna get on a little bit of a, a soapbox here, but like. Math rock has a groove. You just have to find it. It's a little harder to find. That's all. Now sometimes now sometimes I will agree with you guys. It's just a wall of fucking noise and it's just noodling and everyone making awful sounds, but just going ape shit. Just going ape shit. And sometimes that's cool. I actually think sometimes that can be really cool and like crazy and manic and awesome. But there's also times where I'm like, this is just awful. Well, my thoughts is that sometimes math rock is like on the opposite side of what it's supposed to be. I when I hear math rock, I was thinking like really angular riffs that have like a repetitive groove that gets laid down, like kind of like piglet. And I was like, oh, so that's what math rock is. And then sometimes it's like all over the place, and it's a wall of noise, and you can't find the groove. So I'm like, where? What's the thesis statement? Like sometimes it's on one side, and sometimes it's on the complete other side of the wall. And so, it's like it's so interesting that a genre it can be like completely antithetical to what it's trying to be. Yeah, yeah. It, and it's, it's almost like it should have some subgenres. I feel like it does. Yeah. Oh, it, it does. does. It's got plenty, okay. but it's 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 very hard to like define because there is like yeah. so much bleed through. I, I can like excuse my ignorance, but yeah, I, well, Max school <laughs> I didn't even, quick. Yeah, I have I have opinions on that. So there are subgenres, and a lot of the times, um, a lot of bands will flirt with math rock. They won't fully commit to it. A lot of J rock. A lot of J rock flirts with math rock, and that's why I actually really like a lot of J rock. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Now, Toe, I would call them a true blue, like, math rock band, but they incorporate elements of, like, soul. A lot of jazz. And jazz. And, yeah. and jazz, is, like, math rock has heavy influence in jazz. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> that, without a doubt. And that's one thing that I think makes the genre really cool is it's kind of like jazz, but through a rock lens. Like, yeah. like a step further than jazz fusion, almost. Just, yeah, a bit more intense, basically. Yeah, and at, at its core, the genre is all about throwing curveballs at the listener, playing with their musical expectations, and that can come in many forms. And that's why the genre can sometimes be really hard to pin down. Like, they play with a lot of really odd time signatures and switching time signatures throughout songs, polyrhythms, um, the whole nine yards, really complicated, like, riffs and, and rhythms and melodies and it can it can be a lot it can be a lot it can be jarring to the listener and especially if you're not like used to experimental music it can really throw people off but that's kind of the point right i know that sounds pretentious but (laughs) it's it's true it's it's meant to play with your musical expectations and there is beauty in that and i think there's something that can be said musically in that yeah and that's why i like the genre i imagine that's one reason why you loved the nag so much yes oh yeah (laughs) yeah honestly that's like even me too like i believe that's the best track on the album 100 percent the best track on the album yeah (laughs) however i do have a hot take they could have easily ruined the nag oh yeah by doing this now it's really fast and then you have that really like insane baseline jazz (laughs) baseline now if schofield or even the drummer, like, is also trying to do some stuff that's equally as crazy as the bass line. It mm-hmm. can easily get that kind of, like, noodly freeform jazz sound. If they didn't, if the rhythm section wasn't so tight and Schofield wasn't so, like, doing his kind of, like, slow groove. And, just, and if he decided to go crazy, too, it would sound bad. It would sound really bad. But they made it just blend together just perfect. Yeah. That's an easy, when you, that stuff like that is really easy to ruin jazz when someone is trying to noodle too. Yeah. If you want to have a guy noodle, make it one guy at a time. Right. It's yeah. it's difficult to do. Like you that's really the sign of true professional musicians is just it sounds like they're all going ape shit, but really it's they are yeah. all holding it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's a clear structure even if you might not hear it the yeah. first time. But um, and I know we were on that lengthy tangent about math rock, but it's kind of related. It's kind of related because you know math rock has influence in that. But anyway, oh, yeah. um, like the Nag, favorite track on the album. I I put oh, yeah. it on my playlist. I actually put it on. So I've been making these like weekly mixes on Spotify for myself, and I put it on that playlist. Awesome. I go I go back to it regularly. <laughs> nice. Um, it's it's just it's it's concise and it really displays what I enjoy about jazz fusion. As a genre. Were there any other tracks that made it on the playlist? Uh, Blue Matter. Blue Matter, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and Trim, actually. Yeah. About what I expected, yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's... there Now, I know we kind of like... We really took a dump on the album in the beginning, but there is positive here. I mean, no one in this album in any way, shape, or form is incompetent. They are yes. all oh my extremely God. talented, <laughs> top-level professional musicians. And that on itself is like awesome. Like, I, I, I personally love when guys like that get together and just make some good music. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's definitely the one of the greatest appeals in general of jazz fusion. There's there's just so much of that, like, incredible jazz musicians getting together and just making an amazing album. 
Yeah. Now, does it always hit? No. No. <laughs> but when it does, oh boy. And the nag for me, that, that hit it right on the head. It's like, honestly, like, I kind of got like snarky puppy vibes from the nag. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like snarky puppy probably, they were probably influenced by Schofield in some way, shape, or form. Oh, for sure. And that's another band we're definitely getting to. <laughs> I love that band, dude. Yeah, they're they're great. I really like We Like It Here. Um, man, that... Dude, Larnell Lewis, he's like basically a younger and more... I don't want to say more energetic, but like... Yeah, more energetic Dennis Chambers. Because <laughs> Larnell does some... Dennis is fast, but Larnell does some crazy shit. <laughs> Yeah, he really does. Like I like I remember the first time I heard a Snarky Puppy album, the thing that stuck out to me the most was Larnell Lewis. Like he he is immensely talented. That's beside the point here. Um now what tracks have we not discussed yet? I don't think we talked about no, we talked about so you say. Mm. Uh, Make me. Yeah, that's that's another good one, so, I think. So Make me, I thought it was good. I didn't love it, but what I liked about it is it kind of picks up the sleepy energy from the previous two tracks. So you say, and now she's blonde are like probably the weakest point in the album mm. besides time marches on. It's, it's fun. I really like the electronic organ on this track. Yeah. A oh, yeah. lot. It's, mm. it's, it's fun. It's concise and it's a nice like pick me up from the previous two tracks that were really sleepy. Yeah. Agreed. It was done that, that way on purpose. I'm sure. Cause I mean, you know, album structure is very, very thought out. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I just, I understand that it was probably intentional for them to kind of give like a low point and like a break from all the insanity of the beginning of the track. Yeah. <laughs> but it was just too low of a point for me. Like I was listening to this last night and I started falling asleep during the, uh, so you say. <laughs> like the middle of it. <laughs> like like the middle of it. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> there, there are, I will say that another big negative about this album is there are a lot of tracks where they sometimes get too repetitive agreed where like especially on so you say it's pretty much the same thing i think that the album would really be taken over the edge by it having stronger motifs the strongest songs that we all kind of collectively agree upon where that's you know that's like blue matter and the nag they all have strong motif, like motifs and like I won't say riffs because jazz isn't really a genre built on like just straight up like repetitive riffs that no, carry no. songs. But like there's you know Blue Man has that, you know it's got that you know and then the nag has like that whole bass part like that is enough to revisit that and the song the album needs more motifs that it could revisit every once in a while to keep everything fresh to keep it crisp to kind of bring us back in when we stray. Yeah. Well, we're kind of like, mm, I'm not really feeling that kind of I'm falling asleep. Oh, 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 no, I'm back, you know? Yeah. It needs that. It needs a little, it needs more of that. Yeah. Mm. And that's actually an excellent point about why I feel like the tracks we pointed out don't really hit. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. There's, there's nothing really like keeping your attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you, and you need that even on like the sleepy tracks, in my opinion. Agreed. Overall. How'd you guys feel about this album? Just curious. Garrett, you go first. You're you're gonna have the hot take here. Um, do you want me to get my rating or just my overall thoughts? Give me your overall thoughts. Um, we'll get to ratings in a second. I I was re- I was really gonna like tear this one a new one, but yeah, initially uh, you were really shitting on this album, but <laughs> but it feels a whole lot, but not because it's bad, but because it was. 
boring to me. And I think, honestly, that's even worse than... That's why I felt so strongly about it, because I was, like, really just wanted to, like... I just get the strong urge, especially during, like, you know, now she's blonde and, like, time marches on. I was like, I could be listening to other stuff right now. I agree. And that kind of, like, hurts. You know, that was like... That's, that's almost worse than just saying, like, oh, this is just... Well, sometimes boring music is almost as worse than just it being just straight up bad. This is true. Hard agree. But yeah. on a second listen, a recent second listen, it, I did find more stuff to enjoy. So I don't think this is a bad album by any stretch of the imagination. However, I also have to be very, I, can, we can, I can't really be like, you know, super objective. Like, oh, this is, this is bad and this is bad. Like, um, and Justice for All, where there's like definite objective flaws. Like, I mean, this album is like all subjective because these guys did pheno- a phenomenal job on their respective instruments, but it still just didn't like get me. And also, I'm very new to jazz. Besides like reggae subgenres, jazz is like the genre that I have explored the least in music. We'll help you with that, Garrett. But yes. you actually, <laughs> you actually had a really good point earlier off the mic about albums needing multiple listens. I remember, and I agree that you were saying that. Sometimes you need to give it a second listen. Sometimes you even give it multiple listens. Like some albums are just better as they go on, if that makes sense. Honestly, the more complex an album is, the more you need to listen to it for it to break down. Whether that be something like a rap album that where the wordplay is very dense, like Mad Villainy, whether it be a progressive rock album with a lot of layers, like some King Crimson albums, whether it be a jazz album where everything is technical and so fast that it kind of blisters by sometimes. They need multiple. I know that sometimes people use that as an excuse if someone didn't like their album, like, oh, man, this this album's trash. I'm like, no, bro, you just need another listen. Sometimes that's bad. Like, if someone didn't like a Lil Uzi Vert album the first time, like, it's not going to get better on a second listen. But some stuff really does. Like, a lot of my favorite albums of all time that I just hold in high regard, um, I did not get the first time. No, I didn't, like, hate it the first... I didn't hate it the first time, and then all of a sudden, wow, this is my favorite album. It's not going to go from night to day upon a listen, but I was just kind of like... It's a gradual thing. Yeah, I was just like, yeah, not really. I don't know how I feel about this. Like... A lot of Talking Heads albums are like that. Uh, a lot of King Crimson <laughs> albums are like that. Uh, a lot of prog rock albums in general are like that. Um, yeah. yeah. 2112 by Rush took me a second listen. I feel that way about a good bit of Doom's albums. Yeah. Now, I actually think some of his stuff is very approachable. Like, Um Food. Um Food is very approachable. Is, is like, if somebody asked me to like introduce them to MF Doom, that would be the first album I'd make them listen to. And it was actually the really? first album I listened to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, lo- um, I love Vomit that, Spit. That was the first. Dude, Vomit Spit. <laughs> We're we're gonna talk about food, yeah. but uh, <laughs> we'll man, get to it. Man, vomit spit cookies, dude. I'm that cookie, song, yeah. that song. I the first time I heard that song, I was literally pissing myself laughing. It's it's so funny. And coincidentally, those are the first two MF Doom songs I ever heard. Great ones to start with. I know. But uh, yeah, um, food or like Operation Doomsday are approachable. But like like Mad Villainy, like you were saying, that's an album you have to dissect. And I'm not saying yes, you can't enjoy, dance. I, I'm not saying you can't enjoy it on a first listen. Like when I first heard that album, it blew my mind. I was blown away by it. But I I feel like I needed to listen to it again because I didn't get everything. In the case with a lot of jazz music, I feel the same way. What are some other I'm curious to know like with some other albums that it takes a little while. Especially in kind of like the prog rock, like math rock, like jazz. Now 
I know we've been talking about math rock on a jazz fusion album review, but Don Caballero's What Burns Never Returns. The first time I heard that album, I actually didn't like it, but something compelled me to keep going back because a lot of people like that album. And I was like, what, what am I missing here? What am I missing here? And then I started really paying attention to it and dissecting it. And now it's one of my favorite albums of all time. No exaggeration. I think the compositions, the creativity on that album is amazing. It's so unique. Really, like like structurally, it's bizarre. I mean, the drums are the lead instrument as opposed to the guitar. Like, the guitar is just the rhythm. It took me a while to really realize that, like, the structure of the album is not centered around the guitar and the bass, but the drums. Then the album clicked for me and everything made sense. The moral of the story is... It sometimes take a few, takes a few listens to really get an album. Now before the or math appreciate rock, it. Now before the math rock heads jump my head, not every song in that album is centered around the drums, but the majority of Don Caballero's music is centered around their drummer. Now we talk about this in a jazz and progressive rock, and like all of these albums we've talked like about like this are either just like really densely layered or really technical. There are also some simpler compositions that it does take a few listens to like I, there are some david bowie albums i feel like that are you don't really it's kind of like they're kind of strange on the first listen like uh low and um i felt that way about uh space odyssey actually yeah. and the man who sold the world they are very there are some tracks like width of a circle that like hits you like right off the bat there are some that are just kind of like mm. yeah i have to agree um and i feel like that's kind of the case for this schofield album is like it it take and honestly took me a couple of listens to really start to appreciate what was going on. And with that, I will say I guess I'll get into my overall thoughts here, but I thought mm-hmm. it was so I thought it was solid. I thought it was initially I wasn't as crazy about it. I was going to give it like a 5. And some parts are forgettable. Now everything here is clean, it's squeaky clean, almost to the point that it sounds like sanitized and that really hurts it. Now that doesn't mean it's bad by any stretch of the imagination. Um, like I said, we have a lot of great highlights here. Every person here is a great performer, excellent musician, and competence is displayed all around that you don't get a lot of the time of this level and this consistency. But that doesn't always make for a good song. It doesn't always make for a good, enjoyable experience. With that being said, there are still moments here that I enjoyed a lot, and I think that alone makes this album worth checking out. Schofield himself, I mean, he's just got a really unique sound that's like authentically his own. And even if he doesn't present his best work on this album, he's still a unique, talented, and really unmistakable jazz guitarist. Well said. Thanks, guys. <laughs> what about you, James? What are your thoughts? For me, this this album, the rhythm section is really what made it for me. I feel like every piece of music is kind of different depending on who listens to it. I mean, obviously, of course, but... Especially if you're a musician, like guitarists tend to appreciate and listen to other guitarists more, and drummers and bassists, they'll listen to more of the rhythm sections, or not necessarily listen to them more, but appreciate them more, you know, and that's what really drug me into this album. The bass and drums are just phenomenal, and they really set the standard for for me at least, for a lot of jazz fusion and just rhythm sections in general, like how they should be, how tight they should be. 
I'd have to agree. I mean, one of the best parts of this album is the chemistry between the rhythm section. It's it's impressive. And I, I feel like we harp on the rhythm, rhythm section a lot, but it really matters. I mean, that's like the, to me, that's like the core. That's like the backbone of a lot of music oh, in general. Absolutely. I mean, especially jazz and jazz fusion. Yes. Overall, like musically, I agree with both of you. Like there, there are a lot of points in this album that is just, it's kind of boring. It's not very interesting. There's a few highlights, but besides that, and and the, you're definitely correct about the production. It's almost too clean. It needs it needs a little bit more rawness. Yeah, ironically, that plagues a lot of jazz fusion and like prog and it does math rock. Yeah, <laughs> and it just kind of comes with the territory because a lot of those guys are like total perfectionists. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. Regardless, I'd still say it's a solid album. I would recommend it personally. I'm gonna give it a seven out of ten. Uh, likewise, I'd say, yeah, about six and a half, seven. That's what I would say. What about you, Garrett? Uh, I mean, you know, uh, pretty run of the mill. Five point five out of ten. <laughs> is, that, is that really? Is that your rating? It's a five. I was gonna give it a six upon second listen because I was like, oh, okay, I understand it. I'm vibing a little bit more with it. But then I thought, wait a minute, I gave Injustice for All a six out of ten, and I was like. There, no, I gave it a six point five. You gave it, yeah, we yeah. gave it the same score. Yeah, I was the I one was that like, gave it a six. <laughs> okay, mm, okay, I can give it. Can I give it like a five point eight? Because it being like within <laughs> point five point eight, five point eight six six seven. Rem- remember, remember, listeners, this is a totally subjective score. Oh yeah, from all of us. Because I felt very, my feelings on this was were very average, like. If the band wasn't as tight and the rhythm section wasn't as good, this could easily be like a very five, a very mid, like very baseline for me. And I got that feeling. It was like my thoughts is like very baseline. Like, every, like, like that's why I gave it like a 5.56. I'll go ahead and raise it to six. We don't, we're not trying to bully you into changing your score. But if you feel that way, I mean. it's Yeah, it's totally fine, Garrett. Yeah, <laughs> like we, we understand. It's like somewhere between like. I think I can give it a six now because I remembered that I gave Injustice a six point five because like when I compare the two albums, I definitely enjoyed Injustice way more than or not way more. I definitely enjoyed it a little bit more than this album. So to kind of bring up a point on that, so personally when I give an album a rating, I look at the individual artists and not what ratings I've give past albums. Then a lot of people will scrutinize that and I don't blame you for feeling that way about it, but like to me, it's like the potential that could have been realized on this album, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, you, like you, you have to judge each. Oh, I just busted my elbow. That's mm. great. I felt right. great. Restart. Uh, no, we're good. We're good. No, we, no, we, no. we can keep rolling. No, no, no. I mean, like, I was going to restart my Yeah, start your, restart your thoughts. Yeah. Um, yeah, you have to judge each album by its own merits. Yeah, yeah. I try not to compare what i'm rating to what i've rated in the past like there's this running meme um i know a lot of people give fantano shit and sometimes rightfully so i don't always agree with the guy's opinions but i i do respect him as a critic now i remember when damn came out he got a lot of shit for giving that a seven i actually would rate it lower but he got a ton of shit for giving that a seven and a couple months later i think it was like a month later he gave Lil Pump's debut mixtape or debut album a seven. And everybody, I mean, everybody in the comments railed on him for that. 
they said, wow, you gave Damn a seven and Little Pump's debut album a seven. But to me, like, those two ratings are two separate things. Like, Lil Pump is never going to be better than, like, a Kendrick Lamar or, like, a Denzel Curry or something like that. But he doesn't have to be to get a good score on an album. Yes. If that makes sense. Yes, exactly. So take these individual ratings with a subjective lens, I guess, is the takeaway from this. You know, don't don't compare ratings between albums from different artists. In that case, this overall, is, to me, is a, like, overall is a 5 out of 10. It's a jazz 7 out of 10. Because I've heard other jazz stuff. I haven't heard a lot of jazz. There's some other jazz, like the uh, Amal High Club stuff, the King Gizzard, um, the uh, Brunswick East. I've, liked, I've enjoyed that better. And I've heard some Miles Davis stuff I've enjoyed uh, better. So I have a question. This is jazz related. The Cowboy Bebop soundtrack, is that considered jazz? It's, it's literally Bebop. Bebop jazz? It's, yes. It's literally Bebop jazz. Okay, like, so there's yeah. a, a definitely other jazz that I would put, I'd give like sevens and eights to in the jazz oh, yeah. scale. So I think this is, mm-hmm. to me, in my heart of hearts, this feels like the absolute baseline for this. Like there, this is going to be my like straight up, like if it's, if I dislike it less than this album, then it'll get like negative scores. If I like it more than this album, it'll get in the positive. This feels like my absolute like baseline. This is your bar. This is my bar. That's yeah. that's a that's a fair. That's this fair. Is, I mean, this is it's not a bad album. I I actually like liked it a lot more than I did initially, and I think it's a good baseline. I'd say so because I feel like mm-hmm. it has like yeah. equal parts like songs I thought were good, like Blue Matter and Nag, and equal parts like songs I didn't really like, like Time Marches On. I feel like this is like the to me, it's just. It's a good right. standard. But I'll give it a little bit above that, say 5.5. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. But that being said, and we talked about this a little bit on the last podcast, like a five isn't a bad score. I don't think that's a bad score. I think that is average, like baseline average. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't like, I don't know what your thoughts are, Garrett, but. Oh, yeah. It's not like, um, like a grading, like in school where it's like, you know, you have to get over 70 to pass. Like, no, it's like five out of 10 is the average. Like one out of 10 is like the worst. 10 out of 10 is like the best you could get. And five out of 10 is right there in the middle. Yes. A scale of one to 10. (laughs) Yeah. And again, you don't have to take it seriously. Sometimes I don't even take myself seriously. (laughs) (laughs) You shouldn't take yourself seriously. I know. I don't, I don't take myself too seriously, but, um, overall, I mean, if you enjoy this album, keep enjoying it, man. Don't let other critics, other people tell you that your favorite album sucks and you should stop listening to it. Yeah, that's the worst thing you can do, for sure. I mean, I know we're on here reviewing a bunch of albums and giving you, like, thoughts and critical analysis and scores, but... These are our thoughts. These are our thoughts. Think for yourself. Think for yourself. At the end of the day, it's all subjective. But anyway, I guess on that note, we'll close out. Any final thoughts, guys? No? I'm good. All right. Well, this was Off the Key Podcast. I'm your host, Mac, and we're out of here. Thanks, guys. I saw I was looking at the back of your neck and you were <laughs>